Hashtag New Year, New Me. It's the Tom Bros Podcast here. We are back in 2021, which feels really good to say. I don't know. Uh, for two reasons. Number one, we are past. We're past the dreadful 2020 and uh, all of the just garbage that came along with it. And we are pushing forward into a new year. And of course, new year means new gear. We're going to be talking about some of that. Some of the losses that uh, we had in uh, 2020, including one that was very recent right at the end um, here with uh, a legendary player and uh, a legendary singer as well. Uh, we're going to be talking about that. But first, we got to talk to Mr. Tumbro, number one stunner over here, Matt Horn. Matt, how are you? Hey, man. Um, we're, we're doing okay. We're doing okay. Uh, all technical difficulties aside, I can't really complain. Did you? Oh, yeah. We, we spent about almost two hours trying to dial in. Uh, I sent my my old uh, Focusrite uh, Scarlet Solo over to uh, Tombro One to, to try and use to just kind of improve the podcast. Then he would also have something to like record guitars and stuff in, uh, record voiceovers. And we spent two hours trying to get Discord to cooperate with the thing, and it just didn't want to do it. <laughs> Yeah, and it stinks because um, that focus right. Honestly, the fidelity of that from the recordings that I made were were excellent. It was so clean, so clear. It was better than the Tascam uh, Mini Studio that I had. That thing was great, but just for whatever reason, Discord Discord just does not like me. I'm quite frankly surprised I'm able to to, to use it on my phone the way I am. But yeah, uh, yeah, it is what it is. It it is what it is. And also, I just came up with an idea of how we could do this. It would be a little bit more work on the back end, but I think we could make it happen. But that we'll talk about okay. that after we're done. So first of okay, all, yeah. first of all, man, I you know we've we we talk over text message and stuff like that. But like you know, and I tell everybody else, number one, I have been doing everything in my power to be away from my phone more and I, I kind of made that decision late in 2020 to just kind of distance myself from my phone and from social media and not try and live uh live on my phone because you see a lot of people doing it and also it, it kind of makes me focus on what's right in front of me whether it's hanging out with people or spending time with my family or working on the podcast whether it's this one or the Pittsburgh pile driver podcast or anything like that. Or when I'm down in my workshop, that's the reason I haven't been posting on like um, Instagram and Facebook for the Bungo Guitars thing is because when I'm down there working, I don't take my phone with me. So I don't take pictures like, you know what I mean? To to post. So I I don't really worry about it. Um, And, you know, a lot of people get put off by that. And I know you don't because you you know me and I've explained to you like I'm not a talk on the phone phone type of person. I'm not a text all the time kind of person. I'm just not that, but you know, but I wanted to, I wanted to see how was your, how was your Christmas? How's the family? You know, did you get anything nifty? What have you been up to? Oh, you know, um, (laughs) when you get to be, I mean, you'll attest to this too. And I think we might've talked about this in the past when you get to be a certain age, um, the joy of Christmas, it's still there, but, but it changes. It's less about getting gifts and it's, less about waking up to a snowy day it's more it's definitely the focus of it should be the time that you get to spend with your family um and just seeing the joy in everybody's eyes of just being with especially during covid right now um right it's it's, it's hard it's hard for people to connect but um 
for me, you know, I wasn't, obviously I don't expect very much for Christmas, but, um, the ladies in my life ponied up and bought me a smoker, which oh. I am over the moon about. I mean, it's a, it's a smoker built onto a charcoal grill. Um, and it's not a huge smoker, obviously, but it'll do, you know, a, it'll do like a full rack of ribs and uh, a tenderloin if I want to, you know, so it's got, it's got quite a bit of space on it. That's so amazing. I'm, I'm extremely happy about that. Yeah. Yeah. And I got an immersion, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, a little immersion blender so I can make, um, I can make different stuff. I can make, uh, frothy drinks and all that kind of good stuff. Oh, so, um, badass. you know. Yeah, and some cast iron skillets and uh, Dutch ovens. So I've I've basically become a fifty five year old woman, um, you know, <laughs> minus the smoker, which is which is okay, you know. So, um, so what about you, uh, dude? So how has Christmas in the bungos been? Well, things things have been kind of, you know, we're kind of rough because, um, and when we didn't make this very public, not out of like shame or anything, but it's just one of those things that you you don't need. Again, it goes along with the whole social media and not people not needing to know everything about your life. Um, my sister, um, since the last time we caught, she actually tested positive for COVID. And oh, man. Um, yeah, she, well, she had symptoms. And because of her medical history, um, it was kind of one of those things where it was like, well, you know, it's, you know, fever, some stuff like she, she has some respiratory issues anyway. So it was kind of like, okay, let's see what's going on. Let's see. Well, we were like, okay, you got to go get tested. So she went and got tested. And by the time she got her results back, they said, yeah, you, you're positive for COVID. And God bless my sister. This is how good of a person she is. Her first question was, I live with other people, you know, three other people. What do they have to do to make sure they're safe? Do they have to get tests? Do they have to do this? That was her first concern. So my sister is a saint. Um and the doctor said, oh, no, they don't have to get tested. They just have to quarantine for 10 days since your symptoms started. When she got her tests back, it was day nine. So, oh, so we and we we've been quarantining and safe regardless, um, pretty much, you know, like so myself, my mother and father, they're they're all the same. We're, we're all fine. Like everything's good. JJ's recovered. She's doing fine. Uh, then uh, into Christmas, the uh, the pastor at our church, uh, Father uh, Father Kleckner, <laughs> tested positive for COVID. So we didn't actually get to go to Christmas mass. So that was kind of a bummer. But because um, masses were canceled, like it was just okay, you know. It, it and it was what it was. But what it did was it made us. We stayed at home. We were all together. We were all safe. And we, you know, watched movies, we exchanged gifts, which we're not big, tons of gift givey people anyway. We just, just over the years, um, we ate a lot of food, we ate a lot of cookies, and we just kind of hung out. Things have been, things were good. All in all, at the end of it all, we were all healthy, we're all happy, and we had a good time uh, with each other. Uh, I also had a lot of really good beers. Uh, over the holidays, um, <laughs> I, my, I, one of my buddies, uh, Haas, uh, we call him Haas. He dropped off a mess of pizza boy brews for me, um, which oh, was love pizza boy. mighty kind to him. And I actually have, he, uh, we weren't able to actually, he came to the house, dropped it off and left. Um, so 
I, I didn't get the chance to give him his beer. I bought a four-pack of Delirium um, uh, Nocturnus, I think is what it's called, Nocturnum. Okay. Um, and yeah. I have I it was four bottles of them, and I gave and I gave one away, keeping one for myself to actually have, and then I'm gonna age one, and then the other ones for Ryan. But um, but anyway, that's all that aside. Um, what what did happen this holiday season? Uh, like I said, we're we give each other gifts on the holidays, but when it comes to gear and guitar stuff, which yes, this is in fact a gear and guitar podcast. Um, we've just kind of been catching each other up. Uh, I in did, case you didn't know. It, <laughs> um, I've been trying to stay on top of what's coming out because it's kind of tough with, even though, you know, we have access to online and everything, it's kind of tough to stay up to date on what's going on in the gear world because lately, because I mean, Nam Nam is, is on the rocks. Nam's, I, I don't think Nam's happening this year. Um, so, you know, a lot of companies are just kind of slowly releasing their stuff. Like, uh, ESP LTD is releasing their lineup slowly in phases. Um, Dean is going to be announcing their 2021 lineup. Uh, you know, just uh, all the effects companies are slowly releasing things. So what I did, uh, more so for this year is I decided to invest in myself um, and my workshop. So I've made some interesting, uh, some interesting purchases, um, for, for Bungo guitars and for myself. Would you like to hear some of them? Man? I most definitely would. I I've seen some of them throughout social media, but I will defer to you to give the ex- the full, the full details. All right. So the first thing I did, and this was because I, I was very fortunate this year through work, um, I was able to get myself into what's called an, uh, the Earl Wine neck jig. And um, it, it basically is going to help me do fret work more accurately. And I have been wanting one for a while. And I was able to this year. And I picked it up. So if people come to me for refrets or fret crowns and levels or whatever, you're going to get the best possible uh, fret job short of a pleck that you're going to get. Now, I'm going to do uh, a couple runs on some of my guitars just to make sure that I have it all dialed in and everything. And I still got to put it together. Um, uh, and I'm cleaning up the workshop to make sure that I have enough room, enough light, and everything for it. But I picked that up. So improving my workshop, I picked up a hand planer. Uh, and yes, for all you woodworking people out there who would s- thumb their nose at me, it's it's a uh, power tool planer, a hand like a like. Y- have you ever seen those? Um, I I kind of know what you're talking about. I'm not seeing one up close and personal because I have the um, the woodworking and handy skills of um, somebody with no hands. Oh well, um, uh, that's why they call you old nubs, huh? Old nubs. Old nubs. With my nubbins. <laughs> oh, that's, that's actually for another reason, but that's another podcast. Oh, that's boy. Another. Yeah, more, oh. tone, more Tone Bros after dark. But um, <laughs> <laughs> I can hear the tone, the, the, the tone. The tone cherubs. The tone cherubs back there. Um, uh, and uh, but so I picked up one of those. It's it's basically a plane, but you you it's it 
it's automated. You don't like scrape it along. You just let it go along. And for me, it was just basically a solution to be able to buy like rough cut wood and be able to plane it flat and join it. So uh, I picked one of those up. Now uh, I went on to the glorious reverb and uh, I did a couple of things. Number one, I found an EMG 60 uh, for dirt cheap. So I picked that up because I want to put it in my Charvel. And when I say dirt cheap, I mean dirt cheap. Um, uh, I, I have, I have picked up, I have a pickup winder and I've been working on winding pickups. So I bought a pair uh, a set of Telecaster pickups. One's a Fender Telecaster 52 reissue bridge pickup that needs rewound. And the other one is a no-caster Telecaster single coil uh, uh, pickup that needs rewound. So I bought those both for a song. And I'm going to rewind them uh, and resell them. Um, I found, again, for a good deal, a T-Rex The Shafter Wah. That the is, shafter. Yeah, I've the shafter. Oh, it's really cool. Here, I'll I'll put in the uh, in the Discord chat. I'll put the um, I'll put the listing uh, for you here. The shafter, it like T Rex. This is back. I think these were done when before T Rex kind of had their. Um, yeah, it's over. The link is over in the general chat. Uh, the the shafter was done kind of like a. Um, you know, kind of like an answer to a lot of the like more multi-voiced um, was there out there, like Dunlop 535Q and things like that. You have basically two, vo three voicings of was, wah one, wah two, and a yoy yoy. Um, so it'll do that uh, oh kind of yoy yoy noise. It has a boost and oh. like a wah contour knob. Like it's, I again, I didn't like. It was it was a good deal, so I I I offered the guy and I picked it up. Um, then I added again to my wall collection. Um, on top of that, I finally, after many years of not having one, again I found a really good deal. I now have a crybaby from hell in my arsenal. Nice. I'm excellent. Very happy about that because I have the Dimebag Crybaby Custom, which is the non-adjustable version of that. Um, so I'm really excited for having both of those uh, in my, my little collection. Now, here's the big one. So I will go on Reverb. Obviously, you heard I will go looking for... Um, Products that are like broken or non-functioning or whatever and try and fix them, uh, right. i.e. Uh, uh, not was, but like uh, pickups. I will go looking for pickups that are dead to rewind and, you know, either give away or sell or use myself. Well, I went into electric guitars and I was like, let's see what's non-functioning. And so I found... And this will be a good bridge into one of the biggest pieces of news uh, in the metal world, I personally think. Um, uh, I picked up a non-functioning, and I use that term very loosely, a non-functioning uh, one of 
these. And I'm going to put the picture in here and I will say what it is after Matt takes a look at it. And I'm going to just upload that. Did you get the picture? What? That is a Dave Mustaine VMNT Dean Angel of Death Flying V. And oh, man. It said non-functioning. The reason it's non-functioning is because it doesn't have pickups or electronics. It's a husk, but a completely functional husk. It is a perfectly valid husk of a guitar. Now, this guitar, the guy the guy said in his listing, he was like, this was my main gigger, and then he got into a bunch of um, Gibsons, and he just stopped playing this one. So it's been sitting in the case. Now, it has been gigged. It is not in mint condition. Right. And it, you know, it has the standard fare, you know, dinged, you know, chip tips and stuff of a flying V, but I looked at it and for the price that he had it listed at, I shot him an even cheaper deal and he accepted it right away. So I picked up a basically $1,300 guitar for not that. <laughs> we'll put it that way. Man. Um, and so my thing was I'm going to, and all it is is just rewiring it. And putting pickups in it. Um, and because I got such a screaming deal, and it even has the case with it. The case that it's in, it comes with the case, comes with all the hardware, the whole nine yards. It just needs, it just needs electronics. That world is your oyster right there. Like, I'm looking at that. There's, there's a lot of, well, I mean, obviously, that's why you got it. There's so many opportunities to just make that thing. I mean, you can do anything with that. Oh, yeah. Well, the, the idea was to clean it up, make sure it's super playable, and try and re-clean up some of the chips and dings and stuff. And yeah. I went and I was like, this is an opportunity to make a buck. I'm not going to lie. This is absolutely an opportunity to make a buck. So I... Well, and what would be the worst case scenario with that? You wind up with a, a really killer playing instrument that you might fall in love with. You never know. Absolutely. Well, and that's the other thing is worst case scenario, I have a guitar that'll look cool on stage when Hellbent can start gigging. You know what I mean? Yep. But that's the thing is that like, it, it was just one of those things I went, okay, here's an opportunity to make a buck. Like, and I was like, and it's a cool looking guitar. And also, did you hear the news that last week... What was as of I believe it's as of January first. Dave Mustaine is no longer with Dean Guitars. Yes, I, I've heard an interesting rumor about that, and I've heard even more interesting rumors about his either current or future um, residence. Regale in the guitar world. Regale the folks out there who may not know. Okay, so the word on the street. The street, meaning the street that's located on the, uh, if they can even call it the uh, information superhighway. Right. Because that's that's 30 years old at this point. Um, word on the street is, is that Dave Mustaine is now going to start endorsing our good friends in Nashville at Gibson. Interesting. Interesting. Is... And you knew absolutely nothing about that, correct? Oh, no. Uh, no, I, 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 there were rumors... A while ago, because there was a there was a prototype that popped up, and I don't know if I can find. Uh, 
if I can find it. Gimson, um, Jane, prototype. People can people can hear me yammer, but like if you if if you go. Uh, if you go online and just type in Dave Mustaine Gibson, you'll find a picture of a very pointy kind of kingly looking V uh, with a pointy hockey stick headstock that is from Gibson. Um, Interesting. It's very, very cool. Uh, but And Dave Mustaine said on a thread, I can't remember if it was uh, where it was, uh, but he commented... Uh, uh, Dave Mustaine said, this will be the last week I'm with Dean, so I would grab them while you can. Um, so, mm. and I honestly, I forgot about this rumor. Uh, it had been going around, I think, the end of last year. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, it was something like the end of like, tw uh, or the end of like 2019, rather. And this picture popped up, and apparently it was a Gibson employee who was still new. Uh, and he shared it to someone, like one of his friends, and one of his friends released it out into the wild. Um, because that's what you do, um, those whole NDAs. Yeah, and like no, the, that's don't apply. Well, that's the thing. He trusted one of his buddies to not say anything, and his buddy was like, "Yeah, I'm going to put this all over the internet." Thanks. Um, and I mean, how do you feel about Mustaine going to Gibson? I figured once once his contract ran out with Dean, he would be running back to Jackson, honestly. Yeah. Well, let's see. So that will be the third. I mean, because this is the, the nature of the business. It, it's not really a reflection of him. It's not a reflection of anything other than that's just how the business works. But this will now be the third. Um, well, that was the third relatively high profile company that Dave Mustaine has worked with Jackson back in the early days, ESP pretty much for almost the entire early two thousands. Yeah. And now Dean. So, I mean, you can argue that it makes sense because, you know, one of the founders of the thrash movement, the, the speed movement, however you want to look at whatever you want to classify Megadeth as and Metallica to a point because of his, dealings early on with them it would kind of make sense that he would go on to a company with a little more quote-unquote heritage if we're gonna go there <laughs> yeah i'm gonna go there because wow. i'm an ass like that but you know what i mean you see what i did there i did but, i see it you know it, it kind of makes sense i'm not mad at it um part of me thinks it's kind of a cash grab because that automatically paints him and paints his gear in a, in a corner that's going to be away from you know the average guitarist, you know, yeah. the average working guitarist. But, you know, let's be honest. It, all right, I'm going to I'm going to say it. This isn't 1998. Megadeth is not, you know, a huge deal. Ooh, shots so, fired. And and I'm not being snarky, I'm not being salty, I'm just saying because of 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 that whole genre, Megadeth is my favorite band of the thrash movie. They are my favorite band of that movement. They absolutely are. But let's be honest, they haven't been a big deal, and it's not their fault. It's just that's the way the industry is right now. The industry is not really interested in bands like that. All right. So, you know, I again, no disrespect to them whatsoever. It's just that's not the environment today. No, and I get that. And, like, it, it, it kind of... 
it's kind of interesting. Um, it's kind of interesting to me because whenever this did come out and the idea of Dave Mustaine going to Gibson, I don't see the connection there. Like that's the thing is there's I, I I don't I don't remember Dave ever playing Gibson. I don't remember Dave ever using Gibson's, whether it's Explorers, Les Pauls, V's, anything. Like it it just doesn't seem to fit the thing. The uh, the one that would have made a lot of logical sense because they they are making their own moves in their own right. Uh, to improve their product is BC Rich. I was just gonna say that because way, way, way back when, when, when Dave wasn't Mega, or yeah, wasn't Mega, wasn't Metallica, he was playing BC Rich. Yeah, almost he... exclusively because I was thinking back to it. Yeah, I mean, you can even say that James wasn't a a Gibson user back in the early days. Kirk wasn't a Gibson user back in the early days. But well... really, when you look at it, you know. No, go ahead. No, no, I was just gonna say. Um, I mean, we all know James's Flying B wasn't a Gibson, or at least by all accounts wasn't a Gibson, which, whatever, who cares about that? Um, but yeah, you don't associate, when you think Dave Mustaine, you don't automatically think Gibson. Um, it's an interesting choice, but again, you know, to each his own. Well, and and the thing that I think Gibson is missing out on, again, and we talked about this when we we're talking about the Adam Jones Les Paul. If they do bring Dave in, obviously there's going to be probably a limited run um, mm -hmm. that's really hyper expensive. Then you're going to have the step down from that that's still going to be wacky expensive to the average consumer. But if they did like they're doing with the Slash line, where honestly, if Really, if you look at it in the scheme of Gibson, if you're using that scale of price, the Slash stuff isn't out of the realm of possibility. You really got to want it. But still, right. it's they're they're really they're pretty good by all accounts. The standard production line. Um, and I, I just think they're missing out on not using the Epiphone line as well, because I really feel like this would fit well in their uh the new what is it the prophecy line that they did yeah it would like that it would it would fit super well and yeah it admittedly megadeth i, I they've they're they're now they're kind of like metallica they're on their legacy like kind of the, you know they're they're going on their legacy um it, it, dave has always surrounded himself with really good musicians not that he's not himself. Like Dave's a really good songwriter. He's he's an incredible guitar player, but right. he's done a lot over the years to surround himself with musicians that are above and beyond. Like Kiko Larrero currently, who's the lead player. Kiko is incredible. But oh, yeah. but again, Marty Friedman. Oh yeah, Marty Friedman. Um, uh, what's his name? Uh, Paul, Chris Poland. Yeah, I mean you know Al Petrali. Al yeah, he was on uh, what World yeah. Needs a Hero. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah, like I, he's he's always done such a wonderful job doing this, and I, I I mean it's cool. I just hope that it's not like the Adam Jones run where it's like you know a hundred and twenty or two hundred two hundred uh, uh, versions of this, and then it's done and it's gone. Like Gibson, I get why they're doing it, but like. Creating, creating scarcity 
I, I, I don't know. I just don't know if I agree with that. And plus, like you said, it would have been cool to see Dave go back to BC Rich and have a signature bitch 10. You know what I mean? Yep. That would have been yep. awesome. That would have been so cool. But I get why he's not doing it because that King V shape. I mean, the Jackson King V came into existence because Dave was like Dave helped design it. Like we have the King V because Dave went to Jackson. Like, you know, so arguably it's kind of the, the King V is the Dave Mustaine signature. So really, if you want that sound, you go get a Jackson King V, but I don't know. We'll just have to see what shakes out. I'm interested to see if it's something, maybe it was just a prototype done with him and, um, he tried it, wasn't into it. And maybe Dave is going to go somewhere else. Who knows? Um, we'll just have to see yep. as the year, as, as this month and then into this year starts shaking out. Um, yeah. So that, do you have any other gear news, Matt? Like anything that's kind of, that's kind of crazy and weird. Well, see, not, I will admit, I have not really been paying a whole lot of attention to gear per se. Um, I've just been kind of taking a, I don't want to say taking a step back and just watching the world burn, <laughs> but oh, yeah, that's, that's kind of what I've been doing. Well, I've just been kind of hanging out and watching things happen. Um, so I haven't really seen a whole heck of a lot. I've just been, you know, unfortunately, like we had said before, I, I am kind of just paying attention to the um, heroes that we, you know, have lost recently. And the numbers just seem to be increasing and the influence keeps getting deeper and deeper. So right. that's really what I've been paying attention to. Not, not necessarily the segue in that, but I haven't. I've been seeing some really interesting things coming out of Fender, um, like that stuff that you you and I talked about uh, when we had our ill not ill fated, but when we had our our Salt Fest. That oh. was the Hard Luck Kings episode, um, <laughs> which it, in hindsight was was actually quite humorous. But uh, again, to preface, we are normally not that salty. We're generally very um, um, easygoing, accommodating folks when it comes to instruments. We like to give everybody a fair shake. Oh but, yeah. You know, we, you know, we call it like we see it uh, for better or worse. And that's that's unfortunately the, the, the dark side of of, um, you know, of gear is that you eventually come across these companies that really shouldn't produce instruments, quite frankly. Oh, well, you know, I yeah. And and, and unfortunately, you're seeing a lot more of it pop up. Um, I mean, I don't want to I, I don't want to see any brand fail or any brand put out bad instruments but like you know yeah i get it but like fender like you said fender's doing great stuff ibanez though yes ibanez though okay i'm uh, i'm actually gonna pull up the ibanez website while i'm doing that i actually yep. not ibanez collectors don't don't mm-hmm. um uh, ivanes.com. There we go. Um, well, I'm, I pulled up ESPs, uh, really quick because they're, like I said, they're releasing their stuff in phases. They have a lot of really cool stuff they're doing. They push forward with like technology. They're doing a lot with the Fishman Fluence stuff. They're doing a lot with the, uh, Evertune, um, the black metal series. They keep doing interesting things with, they're actually doing the, um, the black metals, like snowfall. They're doing their black metal series in white, like whited out. Looks really cool. Um, they're kind of jumping on the uh, sandblasted ash thing. Um, 
which is very, very cool. They put out a signature guitar for um, uh, Josh Middleton of Architects and Silosis, which is a really cool guitar. They also put out a signature guitar for Mike Shellbaum, uh, Shellbaum of Darkest Hour, and it's a really, really cool-looking offset. Um, they call it their arrow shape. It looks great. It's one single pickup, a volume, and the truth. Go check that out. Um, they redid the Sparrow Hawk in black and gold, so that uh, Black Beauty kind of aesthetic. Like, go, go check. They're doing a seven string um, thin line uh, acoustic. Uh, they're just go check them out. They're very, very cool. Um, oh, wow. So, you know, side note. I didn't realize. Well, I guess I realized it, but I totally forgot that ESP owns Takamine. Oh yeah, or Takamimi, or you pronounce that. Yeah. Oh yeah. Fascinating. I they I have are... a soft spot for ESP. I always have. Dude, I do They've too. Always been one of my favorite companies. Yeah. Well, it's because they're kind of like in the way they're kind of like Schecter. Like I personally have never played a crappy ESP. No, I've, I've played... owned quite a few really great ones. Well, I've owned quite a few ESPs. I think I've owned, owned more ESPs than well. Yes, PLTDs, but I've owned more of those than I think I have any any particular model that includes Ibanez. Um, yeah. yeah, I had quite a few of them, and they're, they're all great. They're consistent and solid. By the way, the white uh, they're calling it the Arctic Metal series is the like black metal that's in in all white. Like they they're sharp. They're absolutely sharp guitars. Yeah. Um, and ESP and LTD seems to be like the trendsetter for metal guitars. Um, yeah, you know, really, I mean, who's who's on the the uh, who's the the artist that they put on the on the header of the uh, of the guitars page? But Alexi Alejo. Oh yeah, and I'm not gonna like that. That is a sexy ass guitar, oh. even with the skull and crossbones on it, dude. And the thing is, it's it it's because it's that it's that Van Halen thing, like it's that it, like that EVH thing. It's one pickup, one volume, and the truth. Like that's yep. it. You know, it's simple. No it, it's simple. It's sleek. It's effective. But again, we're talking about Ivan, and we're sitting here going like, "Oh, is there any more gear news to talk about?" God, there's so much gear news. Um, Ibanez is is like, I mean, they're doing a lot of the thing that of like, "Oh, here's a new color for this guitar. Here's a new, uh, you know." finish or whatever like they do a lot of that stuff like admittedly ibanez does a lot of that but the thing that they're doing in 2021 there are two things that are specific or three things that are specifically blowing my mind number one they're doing a new version of the fireman the paul gilbert fireman they are releasing the purple one with the three mini humbuckers and an ebony board and it is gorgeous it is a gorgeous guitar and it's amazing i can't I, i'm so happy they're doing that did you see that did you see the new fireman well i i just have to laugh because uh, and again this is me being snarky but when did paul gilbert become tom waits <laughs> no i and i have to say i love paul gilbert i absolutely love paul gilbert oh he's one of my all-time favorite guitarists um but yeah but even though he can dress like a homeless guy and he'll still he'll still always be paul gilbert and i'll still always worship everything he does oh yeah so yeah Uh, no so yeah i got no hate but i just have to chuckle 
It's so true, though. But, like, dude, the new Fireman looks great. Uh, Martin Miller is getting a seven-string version of his um, his A his A's, uh, AR. What is it? The AZ yeah. AZ shape or whatever. AZ, I think. Yeah, the, yeah, the, yeah. The AZ. Like they're getting. He's getting a seven-string version of that. Uh, Paul Wagner from Between the Buried and Me. His signature is getting done in white instead of black. Uh, the the PGM uh, Junior is getting the neon treatment, which is cool. But the, appropriate, yeah. they're reissuing, and I said this last time, and we posted it on the Facebook, the Tone Bros Facebook. Um, the RG565 is getting reissued in blue and orange. Um, I know. I'm so excited. Ugh. Until that was my goal guitar for this year. And I got to step back because I just popped my mic, and I'm so sorry. I'm so excited <laughs> for this. Yo, so, <laughs> so those are cool. And I was sold. I was absolutely sold on the blue one until right. I saw, and I don't know if you looked at their lineup, they are doing the RG6 PKAG. So it's basically, in my opinion, it's a piss take on Red Beach. Like it is. Yeah. yeah. Uh, did you see it? Isn't it? Oh. Yeah. I, I I had to do a double take for a second because I thought, what? Wait, did Red Beach sign back on with them? It so for anyone who doesn't know, Red Beach, he had a guitar called the Voyager. Oh, there was a vibrating, all of the sounds. So Red Beach had a guitar with Ibanez back in the day called the Voyager, and it was an RG, but it had the ass end like cut out. Just Google it. Um, it it and there were two versions. There was one. That was made, uh, that was black. I think it came in black and red. And it had three pickups, a humbucker in the bridge, and then two single coils. And it had uh, the edge tremolo and the whole thing. But the Japanese made one, the the quote-unquote prestige one, had a koa body. And then I think a pow ferro fingerboard and a maple neck. That was like the one to have. Um, and it had EMGs in it. Again, humbucker single single. Yeah. So I'm looking through the new lineup of Ibanez for 2021, and there is an RG again, the RG6 PKAG Premium. This is the one that's made in Indonesia, which I would give anything for a prestige version of this. It it has a koa top, an African mahogany body, rosewood fingerboard, not pow ferro, um, Jeskar Evo gold frets, which is kind of crazy. That they're they're putting the Jesker frets on there, uh, and then an eleven piece neck. They're doing the I, I think it's an eleven piece neck. Where's the? Let me see if I can find the the wood in the neck. Uh, they it's don't. Babinga, maple, and what is it? Something else. Maple, walnut, uh, maple, walnut, and babinga. It's one, two, yep. three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven piece neck. And. But the thing is, I look at this and and it's gold hardware. It has the glow in the dark, dark glow in the dark side dots. It even has the original edge trim on it. This is basically Ibanez taking the Red Beach Sur model and going here. It it they're, they're saying rem remember me. Absolutely. And, and I saw that, and my first thought wasn't, oh, shots fired. This, for me, was, holy crap, I got to have it. 
Yeah. This this was dude just got outed by his ex-girlfriend. <laughs> it and the thing is, right? yeah, it absolutely is. But I saw it and instead of being like, oh man, how could they do that to Red Beach? I went, I need one. I need one in my life. Right. Um and and Oh, and I don't think I'm I'm gonna guess that there was no there was no ill intent toward it. It was probably just, hey, we kind of forgot about this model that was kind of kick ass. Um, let's just let's just throw it out there. And, uh, let's throw it on the wall, see if it sticks. And that's exactly what happened. Now we don't know if it's going to stick, but oh my god, it absolutely has to because there are people like me out there who are like, holy crap, I can be Red Beach. Like I, you know, and people might be rolling right. their eyes and not liking. Listen, you can crap on Winger all you want, but they're a great band. Like they were, they were a great band. I don't shit, you know, fight me. Um, no, definitely. And just because like, yeah, so they wrote some cheesy songs, but the musicianship and not the musicianship is everything, but um, with the exception of Mick Mars, uh, Motley Crue, really, I'm sorry to say that. I, and they were contemporaries of theirs. Uh, again, I, le- I don't like shitting on other bands, but I've never been a big, Mo- aside from Mick Mars, who is phenomenal, I've never been a Motley Crue fan, but uh, compared to the musicianship and winger doesn't even doesn't even matter. Oh, not even close. And and the thing that people forget, like they like winger gets shit on, and understandably so. And like Kip Winger, the, I mean, the man went to Juilliard for God's sake. Like, I mean, y- you can't. Yeah. Y- you got to give credit where credits due. And Red Beach, a lot of people have, uh, especially online, have a lot of like negative things to say about Red Beach. And his personality, dude, I met him and he was a super nice dude. Like I met him at a music store down by Pittsburgh and I, I, I just kind of looked at him. I went, wait, you're red beach. And he was like, yeah. And he talked to me for like a good five, 10 minutes and he was super chill. Like he was super chill. We talked about gear and you know, just how like life and etc ad nauseum like he apparently lives in pittsburgh and he's just a chill dude so you know it's probably people who were fangirling or fanboying out on him and it's like no nah, just just be nice just talk to him right. um well like i said the the az's uh aside from martin miller's signature the az's are getting uh, a seven string makeover there's two new uh two models from before that are just getting a seventh string which is really cool um they also are doing a couple that are a little more traditional stratty kind of feel. Um, I mean, you know, a couple new jazz boxes. They're expanding on the the headless bass thing. Uh, new finishes. Like Ibanez does every year. Very rarely, I, and I, I hate to say this, very rarely does Ibanez, like, put out an earth-shattering model, like a new model or any kind of, like, huge innovation. But they always right. do stuff that is very tasteful and feels good you know what i mean well yeah because you look at the i mean not that the artist roster is everything but when you look at it you have the staples in the industry you have paul gilbert you have joe satriani you have steve Vai, you have andy timmons um you have you know paul stanley at the moment is is giving his endorsement until somebody else comes along and gives some more money um oh. you know but that's that's i'm sorry i i i really i really give the shit to paul to paul stanley but um but I still, I still adore 
kiss uh, it, i just can't stand what they do from a business perspective but if it has whatever. if it can have kiss on it it should have kiss on it the old uh exactly i think i got turned off from them not to change the subject but i got turned off from them when they started um selling kiss caskets to me that was just like beyond tasteless well hey but man it look, totally fits you know well the thing is i i mean dime bag was buried in one so now he was an unreasonably huge uh, uh, Kiss fan. So I mean, right? So it kind of fits. Yeah, it fits, and it you know you know what I mean. It's it's not for everybody, but I guess you know whatever whatever you want to be buried in, that's cool. Uh, we right. talked we talked about uh, just really quick wrapping up some some newer stuff. We talked about yeah. Boss uh, doing uh, for the Waza line. They're going to be adding the. Um, the uh was it the heavy metal pedal they're going to be adding a waza version of that uh mm-hmm. they they added the tone bender uh which is kind of crazy the waza craft tone bender um that they're doing right um, oh i lost my mind when i saw that i i know you were you were super th- see like tone benders to me i i don't i'm not a big fuzz guy so um, I think I'm looking at it more from the from the heritage perspective. I mean, fuzz right. boxes are I mean, they're a dime a dozen. They're all over the place. But, okay. um, you know, for I'm looking at it more of the heritage where the excuse me, the tone bender was basically the fuzz pedal. Right. It was one of the earliest fuzz pedals that ever picked up any steam. So I can totally get behind it for just for the um, the heritage aesthetic. Um, plus, it just looks awesome. It has that casing that the old. um the old boss fuzz pedals from the nineties had right, which I just think is so, so sick. Yeah. That model kind of silver. Yeah. But again, it's, it's, you know, to each his own potato, it, potato. Exactly. Uh, and just hitting a couple other bigger things here because we do have, unfortunately another loss to talk about, um, yeah. which I'm going to, I'm going to let Tombro one spearhead here. Uh, but just hitting some other, uh, keynote things and there's so many brands out there i need to do um there there's a lot to wade through there's more gear than ever there's ever been um uh and uh like uh dunlop really quick they're doing new for this year uh they're it looks like they're reissuing the q zone um the fixed wall thing i don't know if that ever went away but it looks like uh it looks like they're reissuing that. Tom Morello had his uh, his uh, Crybaby put out. I was going to pick up one of those and ended up mm-hmm. not. Um, the Crybaby Junior and the Crybaby Q535 uh, Mini are out. And the Dimebag Crybaby from Hell uh, got a uh, facelift. It went from the woods camo to an urban camo. So it went from the traditional kind of camo look to uh, black, gray, and like gunmetal yep. blue. So that got redone. Uh, Gary Clark Jr. has his wah, but that was put out a little bit ago. Um, yeah, nothing, nothing else really of hyper note as far as that. At least I can see uh, from Crybaby. Um. Uh, I don't know. I don't. I, I'm trying to look and see if there's anything else like that that has kind of skated by me in the past couple of days because I've been a little a little more on point with uh, keeping up on gear news uh, as the turn of the year comes around. Um, 
Uh, I haven't heard anything really from ja- the Jackson camp or the Charvel camp uh, as of now. Um, bah, 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 bah. By the way, that that RG6 PKAG is going to be about $1,600. Um, okay, which, that's not horrible. It's not horrible, but it's an, to me, I'm like, I, I know this sounds terrible, but it's an Indonesian-made guitar. I don't think it should be more than more than $1,200, but that's just me. Um, there's some really cool J custom stuff that came out, uh, in very interesting kind of artistic finishes. Uh, Strandberg is putting out the, uh, is updating the Bowden line. That's kind of cool. Um, PRS. I haven't, uh, that's another one. I haven't really heard a lot from is PRS. Um, earlier this year, Washburn put out the new version of the Nuno, uh, which is the Nelly, uh, which is the Telecaster kind of vibe. And I like the right. fact that they're still using the Wild Bill and Becky uh, pickups for the bridge on that one. Um, Schechter, I mean, Schechter is being Schechter. They're putting out crazy finished guitars. Um, Epiphone. But still no out, 007 or 006. I, man, I want that 007 on, so bad. Bring yeah. it back. They're doing all this Please. other stuff. Bring back the 00 series. Um, right. Uh, yeah, other than that, I mean, uh, Kramer came back out last year with, uh, you know, kind of had a little resurgence, the prophecies Epi- from Epiphone. We mentioned those, um, yeah, nothing how about the, um, how about the, uh, the, uh, what is it? The synth wave models from Balaguer. Oh, but yeah. Balaguer announced the synth synth wave Espada, which was really cool. Um, and it was cool to see that come out, of, come to fruition because it's, it's it is a a quote it's their semi custom quality so it's the the it's not the ones that are made in China it's made in in uh, Korea World Music which is where their semi custom stuff is done um, and it's really cool because it has that graphic on the front uh, that kind of eighties uh, grid like look but then the back and sides are that black cosmic sparkle that's yeah. a really cool touch. Of course, Balaguer Electronics, which, by the way, I love to see, before we move on here, I love to see that companies are doing way better things with their stock pickups. Balaguer is the right. perfect example because I, my Balaguer, like I said, I was going to put a set of, um, I was going to put a set of Bill and Becky L500XL and an L500 in it because I was like, that's what I want. I want that kind of vibe. Man, it has the stock Balagare pickups in it. It's a feral in the bridge and an evergreen in the neck. And I'm not changing a damn thing about that guitar. It sounds so yeah. good. Their pickups are amazing. Yeah, because it used to be um, for a long time, if you wanted really stellar pickups, you had to go with one of the main. Um, really, it was down to three, I think, um, aftermarket developers, which was Seymour Duncan, DiMarzio, and EMG. I mean, those were really your only choices. And now there's just, there's so much out there. There's Mojo Tone. Um, there's, you know, a lot of in-house brands that are just really, really killing it. And well, you just have so many more options now as a player. Well, and I mean, the boutique thing is exploding more than ever. I mean, you look at like Guitarmory, uh, Brandon yep. Wound. Uh, there's pickup companies popping up all over the place and they're great. Like they're doing a really good job, and especially places like Brandon Wound that are one guy, and you deal right. with him. Like it's you, you check them out, and the Guitarmory stuff is phenomenal as well. But we we got to move on here, Matt. So yeah, yeah. we lost a lot 
of people uh, in the music industry this past year. And just touching really quick, re- in the wrestling world, we lost a lot of people. Most recently, yeah. uh, John Huber or Brody Lee. Uh, or for people who were WWE fans, Luke Harper passed away. But right at the right at the end of 2020, if if losing from a guitar standpoint, if losing EVH was not enough, we also lost uh, the the literal mountain of a guitar player. No pun intended. Uh, Leslie West. Yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah I, yeah i'm just i know it's i i don't even know what to say about that um i mean it's i don't want to say it's something that i kind of suspected was going to happen at some point um because again they're not i mean mountain has not really been they had their their heyday in the very late 60s they were a big part of the woodstock thing but he had been ill for quite a few years um he was diabetic he uh lost one of his legs uh due to diabetic diabetes complications and um this is i'm just kind of reading up on his on his story here um on december 21st he went into cardiac arrest and never regained consciousness um yeah it's an unfortunate thing of you know a combination of living living hard kind of that old school um idea of how a rock star needs to behave uh unfortunately it did in the after effects did in a lot of our biggest heroes and Leslie West being one of them. Now he's one of these guys that doesn't get the attention that I think he deserves, even though everybody knows Mississippi queen, everybody knows that song. They hear that song. They know it. They know how it goes. They sing along and everything. They know the riff, but they don't really know anything about the band. They don't know really anything about the player. Right. For us, Leslie West is a guy that we, we've, been influenced by him without knowing we're influenced by him because he planted a seed that all of our heroes um grew um you know as from a gear perspective he couldn't have had a simpler rig um at the height of his career he was playing a les paul jr single p90 with either sun amplifiers or orange amplifiers and the older uh models and he just crafted this massive no pun intended mountain of a sound like you had said um and he did the dean thing for a little bit he was with ernie ball for a while <coughs> excuse me um for those of us who are pickup fanboys like we had just mentioned um larry demarzio credits him for basically um giving him the inspiration for creating the super distortion uh because that was what he used he wanted to get that sound out of his rig so the pickup that he built the super distortion was kind of centered around Leslie West's uh, tone. Um, yeah. And it's not a tone that you would imagine. It's just, it's just a massive, thick, fat, heavy sound. Um, but yeah, mountain was a huge, um, um, progenitor, if you will, of the metal scene and not just of, you know, classic heavy metal, but stoner metal as well. Uh, just having a, a massive sound and a well, massive, heavy guitar sound. Well, and I mean, even even blues guys, you know, like the modern blues players talk about Leslie West as well. And, you know, there's so many. And that's the thing, like the passing of people like Leslie West, 
that are not part of pop culture zeitgeist necessarily. Now, their music was like everyone. Everyone in the... I defy you to find a human being that has never heard the song Mississippi Queen. Right. Like, seriously. And yeah, you could arguably, if you wanted to be technical, say, oh yeah, that one-hit wonder band, Mountain. That Like... I mean, mm. as far no, as far as pop culture goes, right? You know, from that standpoint. But I mean, like the playing, like you said, if you go and listen to Leslie West's playing, it's really raw. You know what I yeah. mean? Like in in a good way. And like you said, it's one pickup into an amp that's cranking to hell, and the truth. That's it. Yeah. Like and and. It, that feel and that vibe, like you said, influenced people going forward. And like you said, into the uh, the doom and stoner metal kind of thing. You know, yeah. that's kind of the go-to. Orange, Sun, uh, the newer ones like the, uh, what's the, Varellum, like the Meat Smoke yeah. and stuff like like amps like that. And even if you want to bring up the name Hovercraft, which I learned a lot about Hovercraft this past week. Um uh, that like those that sound is kind of born out of people like Leslie West. Yeah, and the dude was not. I mean, from an appearance standpoint, he he absolutely was not. I don't want to say he looked the role of a conventional rock star because he was a big dude with a, you know crazy hair. He actually the first time I saw um, Rabia Massad, I immediately thought, oh, that's he looks like Leslie West's grandson. Yeah, but, you know, right. He doesn't he? Yeah. What well, big dude with a big afro? Well, and and the fir- the the person that I likened him to was I was like, oh, it's a it's a uh, a blues version of King Buzzo, like the uh, yeah, definitely. But like uh, speaking of Rabia, side note, did you see his post on Facebook that was about his weight loss journey? Yeah, that was really interesting because um, I, I remember seeing him way back in the day, thinking, man, he's a He's a hefty kid, um, and he just over the years he just saw him just drop tremendous amounts of weight. And um, yeah, and it's it's incredible, like to see the the transformation, and that takes a lot of dedication. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, he had some physical problems too, because I guess he had some injuries uh, pertaining to his um, what was it his um, his skateboarding? Yeah. Um, not career, but you know he was living that lifestyle and just kind of getting busted up. So his mobility kind of suffered, but um, that kind of led him to seeking out alternative ways. And I guess he went on a, he was a vegan for a while. And then I guess now he's doing keto, I guess. Oh Um, yeah. Yeah. It works for him. Well, and that's the thing, having that start, that's the thing. You've got to find what works for you uh, as far as dieting goes. And I actually talked about this on um, uh, the P3 channel. We do a thing called breaking kayfabe. And we just invent. Yep. Uh, we just came up with an idea. <coughs> excuse me. Uh, that we call breaking kayfabe lounge, which is where you must have X amount of drinks to enter. Um, and uh, myself and uh, a- Alec Ransom over there, we talked about our fitness journeying. And I realized, like, I've been lifting a lot. And I'm doing the trying to do the strongman thing, and I realized. The thing I've I've been doing well. Like my numbers have been getting better in the gym. I feel better. Like I've lost a little bit of weight. But I realized too, accidentally, I've been kind of dirty bulking. 
and I don't want mm-hmm. that. And Dirty bulking for people out there, that's basically you're on a seafood diet where if you see it, you eat it. And um, I've been watching my cal- up. Uh, well, I've been watching my caloric intake, and I burn more calories than I take in. However, those calories that I'm taking in, I'm not watching my macros, so I am. You know, I I looked and I was like, wow, I'm eating a lot of carbs and I didn't mean to. So how can I fix that? And so going into 2021, I'm going to try and uh, flip that a little bit. Um, So we'll see how that goes. But um, no, uh, like bringing it back around to Leslie West, like it's just yet again, another, (laughs) you know, another loss. Like, so hopefully... Hopefully, we're going to be seeing more uh, people because of the the one benefit of of this happening is I think more people are looking to pick up guitar and get moving. And with with the loss of guys like EVH and Leslie West, you're seeing more people want to pick up guitar, even if it's for a flash in the pan. You never know. The person right. that might be inspired to pick up um, going forward might be the person who's going to reinvent the instrument again. Yeah. I mean, sadly, I think we're kind of, at least right now, we're kind of at a point where everything's already been done. And that's where, and I know we've talked about this kind of in private, um, a lot of it is just me being very salty and being kind of bitter that the talent pool out there is just, is just getting deeper and deeper and deeper. There are so many players out there that are just so far beyond my level of comprehension of, of musicality um, that it, it does at times get very discouraging if you approach it from from a mindset that's rooted in insecurity like I know I do. So, um, you know, it, it has its good and its bad. There are so many players out there that are just leaps and bounds above anybody else out there um but it gets hard after a while because it's like well what else can i do to be original what else can i do to be better not that you're in competition with anybody because we'd mentioned before 30 years ago when 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 eddie was on top it was you had to be the fastest gun in the west almost 40 years at this well yeah definitely 40 years at this point but you had to be the fastest gun in the west otherwise nobody was going to pay attention to you now it's a much more nurturing atmosphere where everybody kind of has that foot in the door already it's just to what degree can like are you going to be more social media are you going to be more you know releasing material independently i think that's kind of where people pay more attention it's not how fast you can play like how great your sweeping is it's what kind of content are you able to release and what kind of content you're going to be able to put out right and and you know even you're seeing that with the guys who do gear reviews like agufish um, who's not a crazy, he even says he's not a crazy technical lead player, but man, he writes good stuff and he's a really yeah. solid rhythm player. And I think you're seeing more people trying to be, uh, you know, you're trying to see them be more solid players. And there's a lot of guys out there who are focusing on flash and flair and that's cool. But I, I think, um, you know, there's some guys out there that I think, you know, people who are already, there's a lot of players. This was an idea that popped up the other day in my head. There's a lot of players out there that are already established and that people like you and me know 
that have not really had that push over the edge into complete and utter, like, now everybody's going to know who they are. And one of them that I thought of, and and I we're getting a little long in the tooth here. Um, and I know I've got some stuff I got to take a rare, uh, care of around the workshop and stuff. Uh, I don't know about you, but um, yep. well, you got meat to smoke. The um, uh, speaking <laughs> well, of, I got meat to do something with. But, uh, uh, anyway, the um, uh, uh, the the guy that I was thinking of that I was like, I wonder what. Oh, that that was another thing that um, I decided to. Uh, fine. It just stumbled into my lap. Matt, have you ever heard of the Fender M80 amp? Yeah, I've played a couple of those in little mom and pop stores. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's those. What are they? Felt covered? They're uh-huh. like gray, or not felt, but like a plug. Yeah, I guess it would be felt, like gray felt covered solid state amps. Uh huh. Uh huh. Um, chorus building. Yeah, well, the the combos had that, and then there was the Fender M80 Pro, which was like the amp with a reverb tank, and then it had space above for rack effects. Yeah. I had one of those once upon a time, and I got rid of it, yeah. and I never should have, because it was, it, it honestly, the cleans on it were incredible. It was a Fender spring tank reverb in the thing, and the distortion nice. was honestly pretty good. I should have hung on to it, but... I found something, and it ties into the guy that I'm going to mention here. Rusty Cooley. Rusty Cooley is a player. Do you know Rusty Cooley? Yeah. Like, I've not followed his career, but I'm I'm familiar with him. Um, Just reading guitar magazines in the the early 2000s, his name always popped up as the guy to watch out for. Well, and that's the thing is because he was like a hyper Yngwie Malmsteen. Like, I mean, he was like, there were... I remember when he came around, he went viral whenever videos were still, you know, 360p and, you know, the sound was garbage. And I'd watch him play and he had his custom shop Jackson at the time and he's playing and I'm going, oh my God, look at this. This guy's insane. He's like Yngwie Malmsteen on speed. This is amazing. This is incredible. And he was using a seven string and I'm going, oh my God, this is so cool. And I looked into his gear and he had his custom shop, Jackson 7, and he was running, uh, I can't remember the power amp he was using, but he was running a Fender M80 preamp, just the preamp. Hmm. And he was running a Rocktron Austin Gold overdrive into it. And that's how he was getting his sound early on. And then yep. he got an endorsement with Ibanez, and there was talk about an Ibanez signature with him, but they wouldn't do the things that he wanted, like the modifications he wanted, because they were going, no, here's an RG7. This is what you're playing. We'll do it whatever color, whatever pickups, and whatever woods you want, but we're not changing the shape. So he ended up going to Dean. And Dean, well, this is a very Dean-heavy episode. Dean um, right. did the RC7 and the RC8, and they did it in all kinds of crazy shapes and colors and all this stuff. And not shapes, but like they did it in a lot of crazy finishes. They did special editions. They did all this stuff. And then out of nowhere, last year, Rusty Cooley left Dean. And they renamed that shape the Exile, which I think is hilarious. <laughs> and, yeah, a little uh, bit. Yeah. And then. Some shade being thrown. Yeah, just a little bit. And then he, I was like, well. Okay, well, what's going to happen to Rusty Cooley with his guitars? He went to Ormsby. 
He has a signature with Ormsby now, um, which is kind of crazy because it's him and Dino Cazares are their two big, like, endorsees, I guess you would say. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And again, Jared Dines, I think, was doing some stuff with him too, but he's not at you know, he's not the, I don't want to say statute that the other guys have because Jared Dines is cool. Well, Jared Dines you know, has a guy, but he has a signature with with uh, Sterling, Ball, yeah, with Ernie Ball. Like yeah. I mean, yeah, Jared Dines is awesome. Like I mean, he's incredible yeah. and he deserves it. Um, yeah. But Rusty Cooley, <laughs> I happened to stumble across a very good condition Fender M80 preamp. Nice. And I decided to pick that up too because again it was a really good price, and I went because Matt I can't like other people want to collect vintage Gibsons and like Fenders from the '60s and they want to have Marshalls and Mesas and all that stuff. I want Carvin Tone Navigators. I want Fender M80 preamps. I want Oddball Waz. You know what I mean? Like I don't know. Like I'm a weird collector of things. Yeah. Like no, I I'm kind of on the same page with you because uh, for as much as we talk about it, uh, just the the oddball year. Like for years, I've been hard up on Kitty Hawk amplifiers because they're apparently poor man Mesa boogies. Okay. You know, and uh, yeah, a lot of people don't know about them. Um, I think it's the the M1. I believe is the the model. The they have like an M1 and M5. Um, but yeah, they're, they're as, as reverb would describe it. It's a Dumble meets a Mesa. Apparently the clean sounds are super warm, super fat. And then you got this like singing lead sound. It's not a metal amp, but yeah. I'm trying to remember who somebody that we know, um, used, um, Kitty Hawk amps back in the day. And I can't remember for the life of me, I'm going to research it and I can't, see if i can't come up with it but yeah um oh red beach that's who it was interesting oh really yeah apparently red beach and let me let me let me see what now it's um it's unsubstantiated but it says uh they were endorsed by red beach when he was in winger huh and if you look at them they look just like mesa boogies they look just like mark twos yeah i'm surprised they didn't get sued i'm taking a oh wow they do yeah oh they had a quattro preamp that's that's what it was yeah it was endorsed by but i mean he he endorsed carbon as well yeah so just oh kitty hawk oh quattro i now matt you shouldn't have done this because now i'm gonna want now i'm gonna want to find one not because i'm a huge red beach fan but just because i like goofball preamps well, like, that's yeah uh, that's that's exactly where i was and that's kind of why i brought it up is because i i've always been into that weird shit oddball stuff um yeah kitty hawk was something that's been on my radar for years hmm. i'm gonna say since 2003 or 2004 because you used to be able to get these heads for 350 at the most oh quattro two channel all two preamp 299 but it already sold oh mm-hmm. man they're they're hard to find they're Damn real it. hard to find. Oh, that's weird. Yeah. Wow. Matt, you you have introduced me to. Oh, Matt, you can. Okay. What? Whoa. Sorry, Kitty Hawk, Kitty Hawk Overdrive Dumble Distributor Amp, apparently. 
uh, it was supposed to be an, apparently a knockoff of that, uh, was yes. th- on reverb right now, $3,847.77. Shit. Uh, but the Kitty Hawk M5 and M1, which are more the ones you're talking about, actually the Kitty Hawk Grand Lead combo, there's one on there right now for 549 bucks. Damn. And then the M1 is 506, uh, 576. The other one is a Kitty Hawk M5 that is 550. But I think the one that you are talking about is the Grand Lead. Um, and that is absolutely a Mark II or a Mark yeah. like that. Holy crap. Well, they have a whole line that M series uh, that they have. That's all. I mean, M. The ugly rumors that M stood for Mesa. <laughs> it was uh, now apparently they were they were um, they were purchased at one point by Cayman, which is the for those of you who are familiar with that. Um, they were they used to own uh, like Adamus and and um, Ovation. Oh, okay. Way okay. back in the day. Um, oh, apparently there's inter- uh, Red Beach did an interview where they're asking about Kitty Hawk amps, and he he refers to them as shitty Hawk amps. Oh, so, sick yeah. So, so apparently the endorsement was was very one sided. Uh, apparently, yes. <laughs> when you will, when you call them that, that's yeah. This is uh, you know, well, and and that's the other thing is I remember years ago, man. I wish I would have had more money years ago because the rack preamp right. thing, dude. Rack preamps were so cheap. They were so cheap. Oh, my God. Yeah. They were ridiculous. Like, I remember Mesa Studio preamps were going 300 bucks. Easy. You'd get them Any day of the week. 300 bucks, 350 And even the quads. The quads were like 450 maybe less. Now. Yeah. They're ridiculous, you know? Yeah. I Not- remember, uh, I think right now, the only real uh, Mesa preamp that you can get for under 500 bucks is the V-Twin. And I know a lot of people have mixed feelings about the V-Twin. Yeah, the V-Twin is kind of... Because to me, I, I know they had it as a preamp, but like to me, it it's... I always considered it a distortion pedal. I know that's not right, but like I always consider... Because it was in that format of a floor unit. And well, remember they made a they made a rack mount of preamp of that. No, no, and that's what I'm saying. I know they did, but like... I, I don't know. Maybe it was just me. Like I went, well, it's not a studio preamp. Why would I want it? Like, again, that was, that was younger me being, yeah. you know, not knowing what's what. Well, they were apparently misguided and mismarketed. Um, they were supposed, as I understand, a lot of people compared them to the early, like the rev one and rev two rectifiers Oh, as far as their, their gain structure. Well, you know, we know that they kind of had their problems back in the, early early days of the like the early revisions of the of the dual and the triple rectifiers but still well the the old versions of the dual and tri- uh, the the dual rectifiers more specifically the old versions of that were supposedly more like a soldano slow you know what i mean yeah. like they were more like an slo so like yeah they weren't like crazy wacky bottom end monster things like they had a lot of gain but it's the same thing that of like the the so the first time I ever got to plug in into into an SLO, I was like, holy crap! There's so much high end in this thing, like there there's it was so sharp, 
And like, yeah. I, it was really surprising because like, I always associated the SLO with like really big bottom end tight distortion and everything. And it's not like it's, it's a whole different beast. So like, it kind of showed like you have preconceived notions about equipment and gear Yep. And then you play it and you realize, oh, I don't know. Well, that's the other thing. I remember the first time I ever plugged into a PV triple X. And I understand yeah. I could I could use the Mark IV as an example for this too. But like the PV triple X, I didn't realize that the 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 EQ on that worked more like a boost and a cut. So right. I I you know, me being a dumb kid, having played guitar for all of what, a year and a half, two years, and not having a lot of experience with equipment, I thought, oh, it's going to be like a Marshall. You scoop the mids out and you do, because I, you know, I, it, it's what you do when you're younger. And so I, I put the mids on like two. And I put the treble on uh, like two, three o'clock and the bass on two, three o'clock and turn the gain up. And it sounded like a distortion pedal. Like it sounded. It was a mess. Oh, it was awful. It sounded hollow and terrible. And so I had a bad taste in my mouth for for the triple X and PV amps. But then when I got older and I got to try them again and I understood how their EQ worked and how their gain worked and how you should do things. And gain is not volume. Like I, I understood all these things and I played it and I went, this is a great amp. It's a super, and that's another amp. You, you, like even a couple years ago, like two years ago, you'd be able to find a triple X head for two hundred and fifty bucks. Yep. Now, because people are kind of going back and realizing how good those amps were, or just the market, I don't know why it does this, but now triple X's are fetching five, six hundred dollars. Yeah. You know, I, I don't know. For for a couple of years, I've kind of, I was in the same boat. Um, where I wanted a triple X really badly, like about 20 years ago. And then I, I never actually played one, but, uh, somebody had kind of mentioned, you should try to look for an ultra, uh, an ultra 60. Then oh, you'll yeah. really like that. Yeah. 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 It's uh, an amp that's eluded me for my entire life. And I want one. The PV ultra plus man. That's the one I want. Yeah. I want the ultra plus so bad. I'm never, that's the other problem is like, I, I have a hard time justifying amp purchases because I'm never going to use them live. Right. Because I, you know, and it's not because I'm diehard helix or anything. It's just, we run everything direct. So like, I don't have stage volume aside from my right. monitor. We mentioned it before. Yeah. Amps, amps today are completely impractical at, at that wattage. Oh Honestly, yeah. If you're gigging with any more than 15 watts, you're, you're kind of doing yourself a disservice i would you're say you're never going to get it now i would say 50 but that's just me yeah well 50 for the clean headroom yeah uh yeah i get that yeah but like you can get away because you mic everything like i mean you don't right or you run a lot of amps are running have a lot of like direct outs and stuff like that now like i mean you don't even need yeah. and a lot of them have load boxes inside so you don't even need a cabinet like it, it's right. it's wild what some of this stuff is happening, but we're getting long in the tooth here, Matt. We've talked about a lot of yep. stuff here today. Uh, let's end. Yep. I don't know if you have any recommendations heading forward uh, into 2021, or you thought about anything like that. Do you have uh, what's your episode episodically uh, gear recommendation for people? Mm. Um, well, I can't say the audio interface because I already did that. I think at a previous well, one. You know, yeah. um, 
It's hard to say. Uh, okay, let's. All right, let's go this route. All right. So, okay. So, hear me out on this one. Okay, so I was kind of anti pedals for a really long time in the early days. If it wasn't a gain pedal, I didn't really care about it. It didn't really do anything for me. Um, when I started messing around with chorus pedals, that was a lot of fun for me, and it opened up a lot of um, a lot of opportunities that I didn't realize I had. But for me, the kind of aha moment when I realized how subtle uses of, of effects can really change your playing, it's the first time somebody gave me a Phase 90. And ah, it was okay. an old, an old Phase 90 from the 70s. It was a script logo that you couldn't even tell was a script logo anymore because the script logo had worn off of it. Very and cool. Setting that, setting that at a minimal setting in front of your amp and hitting it gave you such a crisper, more lively sound. Um, it gave you a bit of a high-end boost, but then it also had the momentum of that gentle really gentle phase that was through a clean sound was I don't want to say equivalent to that of a Leslie because it's a completely different beast, but it kind of gave you that, that forward motion. But then with gain on it, it completely altered your gain structure. Um, it kind of just made your, it's hard to describe it. It to me made my sound uncontrollable, but in a good way. Like it made me really focus on my playing, on my picking, because if I was a little off, then the um, the forward movement of it was was off. So it really kind of made me focus on on my picking technique. Um, so for me, if you want to, and you know, again, Eddie Van Halen, first album, first couple albums, lots of Phase ninety on that, and every, and nobody really thought about it until until you start reading the magazines, until you start seeing. The footage you're like oh yeah he's using a piece of, oh and then then it finally hits you're like oh oh i get it now i get what that sounds like okay yeah i like that some people don't like that some people when they think of phasers they think of like steely dan which i love either way where they think of like certain jazz groups or certain funk groups you know yeah there is that but for lead playing it really just at the lowest possible settings it adds something to your tone it adds a certain presence to it and i think that's to me that's that's a great way to kind of elevate your lead playing just to give it a little bit more spice to it without pushing it into full-on modulation full-on like effects heavy stuff so similar effects can be done by using a flanger at a lower setting or using uh, an analog chorus at a low setting just try it you'll beef up your sound you might give your sound some more presence you know, you might hate it, but either way, at least you tried something new. So that's that's a, a weak recommendation, but I think it's, for me, it was something that kind of changed the way I looked at stuff. And actually, you were one of the people, because I was running all that stuff in the effects loop years later, and you're like, no, put your modulations in the front. Try that now. I can't go back to that. So There you go. Wow. There you go. That's awesome. That's super cool. Um, Mine would be and i don't know if i've mentioned this before so if i if i've thrown this out there before uh d just because i'm a nut for them i absolutely love them uh check out uh a good wah pedal that's not a crybaby okay i understand whenever you think of wah pedal 
like you go the the first thing that pops in your head is either a vox wah or a dunlop crybaby any of the iterations of them and they are obviously the industry standard you can go out there and you can find a used standard crybaby or used standard vox wah for roughly 30 bucks you can find them um, and they're, they're amazing. They are the wah sound. They are that sound. And it's a good place to start. If you don't have a wah, look into it. But the thing is you might find, um, I don't know, sound functionality, any kind of thing, feel whatever. I personally, the problem that I have with most crybabies is the throw of them. The actual physical feel of the throw of the pedal. Um, I feel like there's not a lot of range like and now the sound is a whole different thing. The sound is there, but it's the physical feel on stage. So my recommendation would be to check out other brands of Waz and the things that they do. Uh, the two that I will mention to you is the Morley DJ Ashba Skeleton Wah. In my opinion, it is the best classic Wah you'll ever hear in your life. It is so good. I I remember last year I bought one because I heard that they were really good. And myself, DJ Ashba, he's a great player, but I was like not really on board. First of all, the whole thing glows in the dark, which is really cool. Second of all, it sounds amazing. It sounds amazing. And it has the Morley functionality of when you step on it, it engages. And when you step off of it, it automatically disengages. I like the Morley feel. I like the Morley sound. And the DJ Ashba is the one to check out. A lot of people will tell you to look at the Bad Horsies or the Mark Tremonti Power Wah. Listen, they're great. They're fine. But the voicing and the feel and the sound of the Skeleton Wah is something absolutely different. Like, it's for the people who go, well, it doesn't sound like a crybaby. Well, you know what? The Ashba sounds more like that classic wah sound. So check that out. The other one that I would tell you to eyeball um, is actually the, if you want a little more flexibility and something that is kind of outside the box a little bit more, is to check out the uh, T-Rex Shafter wah, uh, the Shafter. If you can find one for a good deal, they are worth it. The build quality is pretty good. It's pretty substantial, but it's very flexible with the three different voicings and the the two potentiometers on there, the two like uh, free, uh, different frequencies you can dial in. Check it out because it's, it's not your traditional wah. It's not your traditional feel, but it's something that might give you the sound that you are looking for. So there you go. Those are my two recommendations for WAS. Uh, but that could be something, if you are not a WA user and you look at them as kind of cliched, that's fine and understandable. But maybe have one because it's better to have that weapon in your arsenal than to not have it in your arsenal. Um, so there you go. Matt, this has been a really fun episode, and I'm glad that we could get one in at the start of the year here, and I'm looking forward to more discussion, especially as uh, uh, releases from companies into 2021 come out. I know we're not going to have NAM, but companies are going to be releasing new things and new products for the year. Um, also, fun, and I'm going to leave you on this cliffhanger, uh, my, uh, my old guitar teacher, who I'm still friends with, he is getting into one of the neural DSP quad cortexes. Mm. And he's really excited for it. 
And I have tried some of the neural plugin stuff and it's phenomenal. If the quad cortex is anything like that or even close, I can't wait. And I'm going to see if maybe once he uh, gets comfortable with it, if he will, uh, if he'll go ahead and let me borrow it for a review. The other thing that I'm going to throw out there is on my Poot the Bard gaming channel um, that I have, uh, I am doing a playthrough of Hollow Knight, and I'm going to be doing a playthrough of more stuff, but in this year I decided to add more of the Bard stuff. I'm working on um, doing some reviews of some of the gear that I have, because like I said, it's hard to find a good review of the Carvin Tone Navigator out there. It's hard to find a good review of the Fender M80, which I will do one of those. Uh, and some of these WAs that are kind of oddball, I'm going to definitely try and do a review on. So keep an eye out on my channel for that. Um, Matt, you got anything else before we hit the road? Um, not really. Uh, I'm just, you know, with uh, the change in jobs, um, I should have hopefully a little bit more time to devote to uh, some social media stuff, which uh, I figured I'd run this by you as well. Um, going forward uh, for subject for another upcoming podcast, I really, I know we've talked about this in private, but I'd really like to hit on um, the social media influence of guitar playing in particular, um, given that we're almost a full year into the pandemic. Uh, it's arguably been the best time to be a guitarist, best time to be a musician, best time to be a content creator, because now there's so many opportunities out there, and it just kind of reminds me of how far we've come in the social media uh, outlets um, to the point where I found myself revisiting some of the ones that got me back into playing guitar and got me to uh, taking it more seriously. So I think we kind of, at least for me, I kind of owe it to, to talk about some of those heroes, if you will, and potentially even villains of uh, social media. Awesome. I, I think what you think about that. I think that sounds like a good topic. We can do that on another episode for absolute certain. Yeah, that, that could that could take up a couple episodes, I think. Oh, absolutely. There's a lot of content out there. There's, there's a lot of content out there. There certainly is, and we can do that next time. Thank you, everybody, for uh, for taking a listen to the Tone Bro Podcast. Make sure to give our uh, Facebook page a like. That's Tone Bros Podcast over on Facebook. Also, you can find us uh, getting there. We're getting there with where you can find us, but right now you can go over to Anchor. Uh, and you can find us on anchor.fm. You can also find us on Spotify as well. So you just search Tone Bro Podcast on uh, on Anchor and Spotify. And here's an update on the YouTube uh, side of things. Google, in its infinite wisdom, is deciding to not let me get into the Tone Bros Podcast email. So I'm going to have to go through all the rigmarole of trying to uh, either recover that email or start an entirely new email. So that is still in the process. I haven't forgotten, and I'm not being lazy, I promise. For myself, Tone Bro number two, Electric Boogaloo, Chuck Bungo, and... Tone Bro number one, Matt Horn, Fat Daddy Matt. Fat Daddy Matt. I love it. That's fantastic. Remember, going into 2021, gain is not volume. I told you. <laughs>